This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. I apologize for the interruption. At any moment, I'm going to be having a cocktail delivered. It will be the second (laughs) attempt because I was not pleased with the first. (laughs) Back the first one. Russell came up, brought her a cocktail. And she sent it back with notes. <laughs> I just, it just wasn't his best work, you know. And you're so needy. I know. I do feel bad about it. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Yesterday, Russell called me a house mouse. Yeah, I need him to explain. I kind of forget, but I was so taken aback by the what I refer to as a compliment. And he was like, babe, why did you call me a house mouse? What's the definition? I don't even really know what the definition is. Well, I took it as a compliment (laughs) because the only mouse I know with a house is Mickey Mouse, and his house is Walt Disney World. (laughs) And what was the context? I was moving around really fast and, like, getting into stuff and, like, trying to put stuff away. And he was just like, you're oh. just like a little. So you're just like a literal rodent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a literal rodent. Like a little raccoon. Yeah, the things he's compared me to are a, a raccoon. Basset hound. Uh-huh. A basset hound, a toucan, uh-huh. and a mouse. <laughs> I agree with all of those things. <laughs> well, you didn't acknowledge my Marco Polo, which I did want to talk about. I did. I Marco Poloed you back. From Di- the mail from Diana B. Diana B., you know what you did. No, wait. I think I missed that. Because I was like, don't watch it at work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I, okay, I didn't write you back on that because I was going to talk to you about it because we were recording that day. And then when we started recording, I totally forgot. Okay, do you want to? Diana B. you want to tell the people? <laughs> I do. I want to tell the people that I checked the mail. And innocently. Our, P- our P.O. box. Our P.O. box. A snail mail, and I innocently mm-hmm. opened the card on my kitchen counter, <laughs> and I was surprised to find it had been filled with pink and purple glitter penis confetti, which is not the first time I've actually seen that confetti. I thought the card had come from someone I knew because that confetti I had perhaps purchased for a bachelorette party at one point. And I was like, I am familiar with this. 
But then it wasn't her. It wasn't her. And I was like, there are two people that are familiar with this. Thanks, Diana B., for the greatest unboxing Marco Polo I have been sent yet. Yeah. Sorry, Diana, if we just put you on blast because now everyone knows what you sent us. (laughs) It was a fun unboxing, yes. It was. It was a fun unboxing. I can't believe we're doing this back to back two days in a row. Two days in a row. We're recording today, and then we're recording the bonus episode tomorrow. Bonus. We have a bonus episode for April for our Patreon subscribers. And, ooh, I can't tell you what it is yet, but I can tell you that our March bonus episode was over the true story behind Oh, behind the urban legend, the babysitter and the man upstairs, that that creepy one. That was March. Yeah. I think so. The murder of Janet Christman. Yeah. And we've also done the true story behind Alpha Dogs, which is a terrible kidnapping case. True story behind compliance, which still keeps me <sighs> up. The, that was the McDonald's phone call scam. You know what else you get when you sign up for the Patreon? You get mini creeps. And since April is... My birthday month, the beginning of tourist season, which you round out. The April, Uh one of the April mini creeps is going to be the moment we've all been waiting for. Some Louise stories. Also in celebration of her moving back to Texas. Guard your (laughs) loins, everybody. She's back. So sign up. Come join us. Head over to patreon.com slash true crime creepers to check out what we got over there. Okay, I got to just ignore this pain I'm working on. I got some major back pain. You're a major pain. You remember that movie? That was a good movie. Major pain. Major pain. I've never seen that movie in my life. That's one of the few movies you've seen. Are you kidding me? (laughs) It's a cinematic classic. (laughs) You think that because you've only seen seven movies in your whole life. And I wouldn't trade major pain. (laughs) Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. 
Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. All right. Today, Mogam, I'm telling you the story of the murder of Mary Yoder. Big, huge thanks to Sabrina Eads <gasps> for- Sabrina, you back? She's back and better than ever. She helped me- amazingly researched this case. So big thanks to her. And also big thanks to M. William Phelps, who wrote the book that we used for this case that is called We Thought We Knew You. Uh, Highly recommend that book. For this story, we are in Utica, New York in 2015. Okay. Mary and Bill Yoder ran a chiropractic practice together, which is very appropriate right now because I had to- to Run to the chiropractor this morning. I had to leave work and run to the chiropractor. Ugh. And Mary's patients would tell you she was an angel on earth. She was 60 years old and just the quintessential Hufflepuff. She loved taking care of her patients, her family, and her garden. She and Bill were known to provide treatment when patients couldn't afford to pay. And she'd even drive out to Amish communities to provide treatment for those in need there. Since she figured it was a lot easier for her to drive to see them than for them to try and make their way to her. I know we hear this a lot in true crime cases, but Mary was genuinely someone that everyone loved. And I bet she actually did light up a room when she walked in. Ah, Always. At their practice, Mary tended to be the one who took care of the patients while Bill managed the business, though he was also a chiropractor and he'd see patients now and then. And together, they had three grown children, Liana, Tamron, who went by Tammy, and Adam, and they had seven grandchildren. Why are you going by Tammy if you have another option? It's like, ta- what, what was that? T- Tamron. Tamron. I think that's pretty. I know. I like Tamron. On the morning of July 20th, 2015, Mary Yoder said goodbye to her husband, Bill, for the day as she headed off to work. Mondays were Bill's day off, so Mary was going in by herself. She was usually always in a good mood, but this day she was especially cheerful. She loved her job, but she also knew that she was going to have time after work to spend in her garden, and it was a gorgeous day. She also only had a little over a month left before she and Bill would be heading out for a month-long European vacation. Oh my gosh, yes, she's in the best mood. Yes, and she couldn't wait. They'd never gone on such a long trip before, but they'd been wanting to slow down at the practice and do more traveling. They'd even been talking about retiring sometime soon and even selling the practice. Mary got to the clinic and said good morning to their office manager, 20-year-old Caitlin Conley, who went by Katie. Katie had been working for the practice for a couple of years, and she'd been in a very on-again, off-again relationship with the Yoder's youngest son, Adam. 
They were currently off again, and you'd think that that might make things awkward at work, but it didn't. Katie was a really hard worker, and over the years, she and Mary had grown really close, to the point where Mary was like a second mother to her. I understand that very much. Mm -hmm. Mary went through her regular routine that morning, but sometime in the afternoon, she started to feel sick. She never got sick. Like, she'd never even taken a sick day before. She took her health really seriously. She was in excellent shape. But when she called Bill around 6.30, she sounded terrible. She told him she wasn't feeling good and she didn't want anything for dinner. When she got home about a half hour later, she ran straight to the bathroom to vomit. When Mary came out, she was sweating and pale and looked weak. She was having trouble breathing and walking. And almost as soon as she left the bathroom, she ran right back in for another intense bout of vomiting. Ew. This went on for hours, with Bill trying Mm. to do whatever he could for her until Mary told him to go to bed and that she'd just sleep downstairs on the couch like she just wanted to be left alone to let this illness run its course. Yeah. Yeah. Don't (laughs) touch me. me Don't hold my hair back. Mm -hmm. Leave me alone. Who poisoned her? Bill reluctantly went upstairs, telling Mary that he'd be within yelling distance if she needed him. This sudden illness was shocking to Bill. He knew it was her usual routine to have meal replacement shakes for lunch, so this probably wasn't food poisoning, and he couldn't think of what else could have made her this sick. By the next morning, Mary was in even worse shape than she'd been the night before. I don't know. Bill called their daughter, Liana, who was a doctor, and she told him that he needed to take Mary to the ER to at least get IV fluids, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. As Bill drove Mary to the hospital, he was reminded of when his son, Adam, had had a similar severe GI bug a few months back. It had taken weeks for Adam to recover, and Bill was (gasps) hoping Mary was not in for the same thing. Weeks? Weeks. Yeah, he'd been in the hospital for like two weeks. Mm-mm. That's like the zombie thing to me. Like, that's it. Just, I'm walking out in the street. I can't do it. It's like people when they are sick the first trimester of pregnancy and they're throwing up every day. I'm like, couldn't, couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. I would, I just couldn't handle I it. simply could not. <laughs> At the ER, they got her on fluids and gave her medication to suppress the diarrhea and the vomiting. They gave her pain medication because every nerve registered throbbing pain. The doctors ran several tests on Mary, but they could not figure out what had made her so sick. The doctors told Mary and Bill that they weren't sure what was causing this, but that it was clearly more serious than like a stomach bug or the flu. Her breasts smell like almonds. (laughs) And by that, I mean almonds. They wanted to keep her overnight for observation, which is what they'd done with Adam when he'd been sick all those months ago. Bill figured, like Adam, that it was only a matter of time before Mary's condition improved, and she'd definitely be safe in the hospital. By the next evening, it had been 24 hours of intense vomiting for Mary. Her throat hurt so badly that she couldn't talk anymore. But other than her throat and the fact that she still felt weak with throbbing pain and dehydration, she was feeling a little better. She seemed to be on the mend, and even the doctor said that as soon as the illness passed, she'd be fine. Everyone was so relieved. The doctors did more testing, and Mary sent Bill to get a few things from home for her. On the way, Bill called their daughter, Liana, to update her on Mary's improving condition and return to the hospital with Mary's things. Mary told him she was tired and said he should go home to get some rest so he could cover their patients the next day. Around 5.30 in the morning on July 22, 2015, this is the next morning, 
Uh-huh. Bill Yoder awoke to banging on his door. There were two oh, no. state troopers that told him the hospital had been trying to get in touch with him all night. But Bill had been charging his phone in another room and had missed all the calls. He called the hospital and learned Mary had been transferred to the ICU after she'd fallen last night during a trip to the bathroom. Mary had gone into cardiac arrest and she'd coded multiple times, meaning that her heart had stopped multiple times. What is happening? Nobody knows. The seriousness of her condition became clear when Bill saw Mary intubated with IVs in her arms. She was strapped down, her limbs were swollen, and she couldn't move anything other than her eyes. Oh, no. Bill called Liana and put her on the phone with the doctors who told her the terrible news. Mary was dying, and no one knew why or what to do to stop it. Like she's, like, dying. Yes. No one could understand what was happening. Two days ago, she had been the pillar of perfect health. Liana talked to Katie, the office manager at the clinic, several times since Mary had gotten sick, trying to find any clues about Mary's movements that day as to what could have brought this on. But Katie had no idea. Mary had gone to lunch with her mom that day, or she'd gone over to her mom's house to have lunch, and she'd seen patients all day. And other than that, there just was nothing out of the ordinary of that day. Adam had arrived at the hospital that morning. He'd been staying with Liana in Long Island. But at the news of his mom's failing health, he'd driven through the night to be there. Long Island's about six hours away. Originally, Liana was going to wait for the weekend to visit, not thinking that this was anything life-threatening, just thinking her mom had, you know, some sort of stomach bug, food poisoning, or something like that. But at this news, she packed quickly and headed for Utica. Their sister Tamarin was also told to come quickly, and Katie also joined them all there at the hospital. She'd been so close to Mary, and she was the only non-family member at her bedside. Mary technically died six or seven times. What? Yes. But the medical staff managed to revive her each time. Bill felt that Mary just refused to die until Liana got there. And it wasn't long after Liana arrived that Mary went into cardiac arrest again. And this time, the doctors were unable to revive her. She was pronounced dead at 2.54 on July 22nd, 2015, about 48 hours after she'd first started feeling sick. Oh, my And still, no one could give any answers to her family on how this had happened or what she died of. Someone slipped something in her shake. Well... At first, the medical examiner's office thought this was a complete mystery. It appeared she had been a healthy 60-year-old female with nothing more than gastrointestinal illness, but they needed to do more investigating. They read through all of Mary's medical records, reviewed blood work, weighed, cut open, studied, and tested each organ, examined the chain of custody at the hospital, they had consultations with Mary's doctor, interviewed family members, and the nurses. They determined that Mary had experienced multi-system organ failure within 24 hours, seemingly from out of nowhere, and this was very strange, obviously. They first thought that she had succumbed to ascending cholangitis, where an infection can travel up the small intestine to the liver and bowel duct near Mm -hmm. the gallbladder, and it can be deadly. But they noted during the autopsy that her heart and liver had patches of red, green, and purple that wasn't explained by the cholangitis. Ew, red, green, and purple. (laughs) Yeah. 
they continued working on solving the mystery of what killed Mary. Meanwhile, the Yoders threw a Celebration of Life memorial for, for Mary with over 200 people attending. Oh my gosh, people really she was, did love her. Yes. It was clear that at this Celebration of Life that Mary's sudden death was not above the rumor mill, and that many people there thought that there was no way Mary had died of natural causes. Some guests had started casting glances at Bill, and whispered suspicions started to make the rounds. After Bill? all, what about Katie? After all, the husband usually did it, right? But Bill said he was just completely consumed by grief, and he felt completely alone. Oh my god, this better not be Bill. Well, he felt like even though everyone was grieving Mary in their own way, that no one could really know what this was like for him. His daughter, Liana, suggested he talk to her aunt, Kathleen, who was widowed and would understand what he was going through. This is Mary's sister. She thought that Kathleen could be a good support system for him. So Bill started to call and text Kathleen, and he started spending time with her. And it helped him because he knew she understood what he was going through. But it didn't look real good. Yeah. I. Mm-mm. <laughs> By August 4th, no one had heard from the Emmy with results about the cause of death. Leanna called them and learned that due to the lack of any infectious material or bacteria, the likely cause of death was a toxin. But they had to run more tests to try and identify the toxin. But every test they ran was coming up negative. And then the Emmy's office ran into a problem. They were running out of samples of Mary's blood, and her body had already been cremated by this time. They had to be very selective about any further testing they ran. The Emmy's office turned to the Poison Control Center. They compared what happened to Mary with other similar cases to see what possibilities made the most sense. And one toxin kept coming up that matched her symptoms. Colchicine. Never heard this, of that. No, I hadn't either. And that's because it's pretty rare. This is a medication that's typically used to treat gout and Mediterranean fever. It is also used in gardening for plant growth, apparently. <gasps> and it is extremely toxic. Even at safe doses, colchicine can be toxic. Like, is it like seeping into her skin and her grubby little hands when she's planting? No, she ingested it. <gasps> they know she ingested it. The Emmy's office decided to use the last sample to test for colchicine, and it came back positive. Don't there is no antidote for an overdose of colchicine. So even if the doctors had known exactly what was killing her, they wouldn't have been able to save her, not once the overdose amount had entered her system. But... Mary did not have gout, and she was not prescribed colchicine. She also didn't use it at her chiropractic practice, and she didn't use it in her garden. And not just anyone has access to something like colchicine. It's a controlled substance that requires a medical license or a medical practice permit for a business that regularly purchases it. And chiropractors are not licensed to prescribe medicine in New York. It's crazy that that could be a prescription, though, with, like, if an overdose does that that quickly to your body and we're still like, oh, yeah, you could be prescribed that. I guess yeah, other drugs I are like I that. I just stick with the gout. This yeah, is like, like those commercials where it's like, you have heartburn, <laughs> side, side effects, effects are cancer, Multi-system death. organ failure within yeah. 24 hours. Like, I'll keep the heartburn. Thanks. It's like, 
you for what if you forget you take the pill? Yeah, then you take it later. Yeah. And then you like take it again and then you die. I mean, it, you better get you one of those little pill things that say like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What, or they have pill bottles also that have a counter on them of how many times the, the lid has been opened. Oh. So that you can keep track that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, couldn't be me again. I could no, not. The amount no. of stuff I forget, I could not be prescribed that. You know, you go to the doctor and they ask what you're allergic to. I'm about to add this to the list just well, to just be sure. <laughs> yeah. Mary's sister, Sharon, was becoming impatient with the lack of results. She was very suspicious of Mary's death, and it didn't seem like anybody was really looking into it. She called the Oneida County Sheriff's Office and spoke to Mark Van Namey. She asked if there was anyone investigating her sister's death and learned that apart from the ME looking into it, there was not an active criminal investigation going on here. Sharon explained the circumstances this far, and Van Namey agreed that it seemed odd. He asked around, and he learned that colchicine is a rare chemical and that it would have a paper trail attached. He thought it was worth looking into. Like someone would have had to purchase it. Somebody had to purchase it, and that person would have a paper trail coming back to them. So he called Sharon back, and she presented several possible theories of how her sister may have ingested the colchicine. But the one investigators were most interested in involved Bill Yoder. Sharon told the detectives that if he had done it, they'd never be able to prove it because he was brilliant. He said that to who? Sharon said that to Van Namey, the sheriff. Got it. Van Namey, his lieutenant Robert Nelson, the ADA, and two pathologists with the ME's office all met together to share information and set up a plan for this investigation. They pulled the Yoder's phone records and planned to investigate other ways that Mary may have come into contact with the toxin. Van Namey learned that the way colchicine works is that from 10 hours to 24 hours after ingestion, it mimics systems of gastroenteritis. And from 24 hours to a week after, multi-system organ failure occurs, leading to sepsis and finally death. So, like, you know how she started to feel kind of, like, not better, but, like, she improved a little and she was like, oh, I'll be back in a couple days. Mm -hmm. Is that, like, you start to feel really bad and then you think you're getting better, but your system is failing? Like, that's... So, actually, what they they will end up thinking happened is that whoever poisoned her didn't give her enough to kill her at first and then in the hospital somehow got access to her. And gave more to her somehow in the hospital. That is not proven. But because she was like bouncing back so much, because if if ingestion is under 0.5 milligrams, the person will likely be able to bounce back. Usually it takes a couple of weeks, not like a day like it did with Mary. But if ingestion is over that threshold, it's considered acute ingestion and the person will not recover. But it also like not a medical doctor, obviously not an expert. But I have heard of what you're talking about, where, like, you are dying, and then you have, like, a day of you're feeling better, and then you just get so much worse. Like, you get better, and then you just get so much worse. So maybe that is what was happening, and this theory of her getting right. it in the hospital, you know, that was oh, just speculation. I don't know, I but think. if anyone ever wants to take me out, I'll, I will give you an approved list of – this is not <laughs> one of them. Like, this cannot this be This was a very painful – she suffered. Yeah. I mean, this was so a sad. terrible way to die. So sad. 
The investigation took a wild turn when both the Emmy's office and the sheriff's office received a letter that would change the entire direction of the investigation. This two-page letter was typed, anonymous, and named the person responsible for Mary's death, Adam Yoder. Adam? The letter stated, quote, If the toxin found in her was colchicine, Adam Yoder, her son, is responsible. He told me he did it, and moreover, he told me how and where he put the rest of the toxin. The letter said that Adam had ordered the colchicine online and put it in his mother's vitamins, all because his mom wasn't giving him the attention he felt he deserved, and because he thought he'd get an inheritance from her after her death. When he realized there was no money, Mary didn't even have life insurance, he regretted what he'd done. The letter told investigators that Adam was keeping the rest of the poison in his Jeep under the front passenger seat. Adam is like an adult. Yes, he's 25. Okay, so it's not like, I'm not getting enough attention, like I'm 10 years old. You know right. what I mean? I mean, I know that still mm-hmm. happens as like adult children, but yeah, so yeah. this is a plant. It's what we call a plant. But there was one problem with this accusation. On the day of Mary's death, Adam had been in Long Island visiting his sister Liana, six hours away from Mary in Utica when she ingested the colchicine. Van Namey was able to corroborate this with Easy Pass records, which take photos and videos of you when you pass through tolls. This doesn't mean he's necessarily innocent. He could have had a partner or he could have come up with a plan to time its release for when he was away. But that seemed extremely difficult and unlikely, especially given how fast colchicine works. It's not like she would have Mm -hmm. ingested it a couple of days before and then not felt ill until several days later. But this letter changed everything about the investigation. It was possible that the killer was Adam and the letter was true. But if it wasn't true, that would mean that it was the killer that had sent the letter, trying to frame Adam for the murder. Their prime suspect at the time was Bill Yoder, the husband, the person with the most access to the victim, and presumably the most to gain from her death. But if he'd done it, this letter had just made him the most cold, nefarious, brazen person Van Namey had ever seen. That's not the first time we've seen it here. What about old girl blaming her daughter? Agreed, yeah. If Bill had done it. Whatever. Yeah, I already forgot her name. (laughs) Exactly. Stacy, Stacy Kander Carter Candace no, not even Kaleidoscope. <laughs> I don't remember You're her fired. name. She sucks. She, <laughs> she oh, <sucks>. yikes. <laughs> if Bill had done it, it would mean that he must be the anonymous letter writer and was trying to set up his own son to take the fall. Yeah, just like Stacy. What's her name? It was Stacy. It was Stacy. Yeah, it was. Her first name was Stacy, and her last name started with a C and ended with an R. I can look it up. Stacy. Stacy. <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me. <laughs> Stacy framed daughter. Caster. Stacy Caster. Uh, David. Stacy Caster. And her daughter was Ashley, mm-hmm. the one that was framed. So, uh, yeah, as we saw with the Stacy Caster story, it's possible. But it put a lot of room for doubt in Van Namey's mind. Van Namey was very interested to hear what Adam had to say. He couldn't get a search warrant to search Adam's car because in New York, you can't use anonymous information to obtain warrants. 
So he called Adam up and told him he was investigating Mary's death and he wanted him to come in and speak to them. He was really interested in what Adam's reaction to this request would be. Like, is he going to be nervous? Is he going to put him off? Is he going to lawyer up? Like, what's he going to do? But Adam just quickly said, absolutely, he'd come right in. He didn't seem unfriendly or nervous. He seemed really eager to help with the investigation. And he was at the station within an hour in his Jeep. Did they check it? Well, yes, they will. But if the poison was actually in there, if Adam was the killer, would he be so stupid to drive the evidence right up to the station? Look, I mean, you should have asked me that a year ago, because now I feel like anything goes. (laughs) (laughs) They questioned Adam, and they discovered that he'd been at Liana's in Long Island for a whole week before Mary's death. Something that the letter writer had not known. They had not known he'd been there that long. He would later get easy tag evidence to back that up. He told Adam that he had reason to believe that someone was attempting to frame him for the murder of his mother, and he told him about the anonymous letter. Adam was shocked, and he asked to see the letter, so they showed him a part of it. Yeah, was it typed? It was typed up? It was typed up, two pages, anonymous. After learning that his name was in the letter and that the murder weapon could be found in his Jeep, Adam asked to speak with a lawyer before allowing them to search it. This is good. You should always do this. He consulted with a public defender who advised Adam that since he didn't think the culture scene was in there and he's insisting he hadn't done anything to harm his mom, that he should just allow the cops to search it. This kind of feels like bad advice to me. I don't know. But (laughs) but based on that advice, he allowed the police to search the Jeep and the culture scene was found exactly where the letter claimed it would be. In a little bottle, in a cardboard box, with a receipt from the purchase inside. With a receipt. With a receipt. Adam was completely stunned. He said he'd never seen that before, that it had to have been put there by somebody else. And the receipt had an email address that had been used to purchase the colchicine. Mr. Adam Yoder, 1990 at gmail.com. Okay. (laughs) Do you remember how quickly we made a Gmail for this podcast? (laughs) Well, they asked Adam about it, and he said that was not his email address, but that it was very close to two other accounts that he had. Luckily, by this point, the sheriff's office was pretty certain that Adam was actually being framed. And as hard as it was for them to believe it, they were also fairly certain that it had been his own father to do it. Uh, I don't want that. (sighs) I know. The suspicion had been planted by Bill's sister-in-law, Sharon, Mary's sister. But there were several other factors that made police turn the investigation Bill's way. By this time, Bill and Mary's sister, Kathleen, were openly dating, and the timeline of when things actually began with her was a bit shaky. Adam's illness that was so similar to Mary's and the fact that it had been Bill who had taken care of him And that if Bill had the ability to kill his wife, it wasn't a far leap for him to try to frame his son for it. There were a few other minor factors that might have played a part in their suspicions, such as a rumor that in Bill's youth, he'd grown a super crop of marijuana and colchicine can be used to improve plant growth. But I would like to take a poll of all marijuana farm owners and ask how many of them use colchicine in their weed farms. Yeah, I feel like the risk level there, just like, no. Right. And I say that it's a rumor. He did confirm that later on. He, in the 70s, he had grown a bunch of weed. 
(laughs) (laughs) And even though there was no life insurance, Mary didn't have any life insurance, there was still a financial motive. They knew that Bill had gotten an inheritance that wasn't enough for two people to retire on. And Bill had written a book that had been a total failure. They drained their entire retirement accounts to promote it. Oh, no. What was the book about? Oh, I didn't look into that. It was probably called Holding House and about the perfect crime. (laughs) Colchicine 101. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what it was called. Colchicine 101 and how to use it to make your weed grow. (laughs) As a single widower, Bill might now be able to retire, something he talked about wanting for a while. He was 10 years older than Mary. He was 70. So he was ready to retire. But he and Mary had also talked about selling the practice to retire, and that could have had the same results. Like, it's not super strong motive, the financial part. And the more they looked into all these claims, the more the evidence just didn't add up to Bill being the killer. They could not find anything in the phone records to indicate that Bill and Kathleen had interacted much prior to Mary's death. In fact, they started talking regularly 10 days after Mary had died. Bill gave access to the police to his computer, his emails, his phone, and there was nothing deleted in an attempt to hide an affair or cover anything else up. Also, Bill had once gone to visit Kathleen after Mary died, and he had to have her stand on the porch so he could find her house. If they had already been in some torrid affair that he killed his wife over, wouldn't he know where she lived and she would have to stand on the porch? I definitely don't think it was an affair. No, I don't either. I think it was a trauma bond. I think that she had lost her husband recently and now Mm -hmm. her sister and he had lost his wife and they supported each other in that. They were both like grieving and they just bonded quickly over that. That's all I think it was. But on top of that, when they pulled Bill in for questioning and threatened to get a warrant to search his house, he told them they didn't need a warrant. They were free to search it as much as they wanted. He just wanted to know what had happened to his wife. It didn't seem like the reaction of a guilty man. And then the test results came back from the anonymous letter, and they'd been able to find DNA under the stamp of the letter. (gasps) They didn't get a match, but the results sent them for a loop. The DNA was female. Yes! It's Ash. It's Katie. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. Investigators were busy tracing where the culture scene had come from. They had looked through all the emails on the Mr. Adam Yoder account, and they knew the culture scene had been purchased from Art Chemical. The contact was someone named Rosa Vargas. To purchase culture scene, they needed to provide both their business license so Art Chemical could confirm that they were approved to buy the toxin, as well as a letter of intent. Both were supplied by the Mr. Adam Yoder email. The letter of intent stated that the colchicine would be used for plant growth and was sent as a fax on the chiropractic clinic letterhead, signed by Mary Yoder on January 14th, 2015, six months before Mary's death. Oh my goodness. Talk about premeditated, huh? The order ran into some trouble a few times, mostly due to payment. Mr. Adam Yoder was trying to pay for the colchicine with prepaid Visa gift cards, but the price of the order had gone up without them realizing it so they hadn't had enough money on the card at first. They went back and got a new Visa gift card for $200, and this time the payment went through. So investigators are obviously very interested in this Mr. Adam Yoder Gmail account. 
You can't really see who owns Gmail accounts. They can be set up anonymously, but you can see what IP addresses were used to access that account. One of the computers used to access it was the front desk computer at the clinic, a computer that everyone in the Yoder family would have access to, including Adam, as well as all the employees at the clinic. But the investigators were shocked at two other devices known to have accessed that account. They traced right back to a computer in Caitlin Conley's family home and to her personal cell phone. I gave it away too easily when I was, she was the only one I talked about being at the office, huh? <laughs> Give me more credit than that. I feel like <laughs> it was the on again, off again situation. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, All nothing right. will really drive young love to do crazy <laughs> things like a toxic on again, off again. <laughs> they could not believe it. Unlike Mogab, they were not expecting Katie Conley, that sweet girl who thought of Mary like a second mom who the Yoders saw as responsible, reliable, and trustworthy, how could this come back to Katie Conley? I mean, what is the motive, though? I mean, really? Well, what kind of motive could she possibly have had? This did not make any sense. So let's take a minute to talk about Katie Conley. (gasps) I think I thought of something. Okay, what do you think? And her relationship with Bill. No, 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 no. Okay, good. Oh, God. I don't know. Nothing like that has ever come out. He's 70. No. And? And her relationship with the Yoders, specifically Adam Yoder. Yeah, okay. You know how I said their relationship was very on again, off again? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that stood out to you. (laughs) Yeah, I was aware. Well, let me give you some more details on exactly why that was. Please do. Adam met Katie at her high school graduation party in 2011, so four years earlier, when a friend introduced them. Katie grew up in Utica, and her family was very well-respected around the city. She had this air of innocence and could be shy at times. Katie and Adam had chemistry from the beginning and began dating about a month after meeting. Katie and Adam had an intense beginning. Adam fell hard for her. He'd written poems and entries in his journal all about just how in love with Katie he was. Poems. Yeah. He experienced depression and anxiety, which often led him to feeling insecure and unsure about why Katie could care about someone like him. Adam often seemed like the one who had very little ambition and direction, and Katie appeared to be the stable, grounded one. She had a business degree from Utica College. She was on the Honor Society all through high school and college. She had a business degree from Utica College and was on the Honor Society all through high school and college, whereas Adam had still not finished his degree by the time he was 25, and he had issues abusing alcohol and Adderall. Adam had been working as the office manager at the chiropractic office, but when he went back to school in 2013, he couldn't work full-time anymore, and he suggested to his parents that they bring on Katie to help him with his duties. And they agreed, and Adam and Katie started working together. But this relationship was not all excitement and butterflies in the tummy with these two. They would fight constantly. They fought loudly, and they fought to wound. They did a good job maintaining a professional relationship at work, but privately, things were devolving between them. Adam would write apology letters to Katie and said that they probably acted this way because they were crazy in love. And even though both sides said mean things that were very hurtful to the other, their relationship was special because they had the ability to pull through it. Listen up, everybody. 
That is not. That ain't it. That ain't it. No. No. (laughs) You're not acting this way because you're crazy in love. You're acting this way because you're in a toxic relationship and you need to get out. That's not what love is. And unfortunately, that's what it is in the movies. So Adam dreamed of marrying her one day. In 2012, he'd written her a 17-point list of all her greatest qualities. But their relationship was undoubtedly toxic, which is probably much easier to see from the outside looking in than inside. As time went on, they were both miserable in the relationship, and they had to face facts. It was not working out between them. Adam told Katie that his drinking and his abuse of Adderall was probably a factor. And they agreed to break up, but they continued working together, staying out of each other's way as much as possible. But there was just something that kept drawing the two of them back to each other. At one point, they were really close to getting back together when Adam found something out. Katie had cheated on him (gasps) while they were together with one of his close friends. Oh, boy. After that, Adam couldn't stand to be around her. He quit working at the clinic, and Katie took on the position full-time. Because another thing about Adam, he was very private about the details of his relationship. His parents didn't know about any of this. They really liked Katie and thought she was a sweet girl who was excellent at her job. After the breakup, he told his parents that his feelings towards Katie should not affect their feelings towards her. Oh. Adam was devastated by the news that Katie had cheated on him with a friend, but he eventually started to move on. He got a new girlfriend. He got his own apartment. He was doing okay. But it seemed like every time Adam had clarity on this relationship with Katie, that it wasn't going to work out, that they should never be together, Katie always tried to pull him back to her. She showed up one day when he was moving into his new apartment and told him that she wanted to still be together and that she'd been saving up for a house for them to live in together. It's like she wants to be wanted by him, but she doesn't necessarily want to be with him. Uh, Yeah, that might be true. And Adam had no idea what she was talking about. He was dating someone new. He had no interest in getting back in a bad relationship. And he told her, you can't have goals like that if I'm not included, you know, in making them. Mm -hmm. The book had this one throwaway line about how during this time, Sweet, innocent, vanilla Katie Conley had started posting online about wanting to have a threesome and selling her dirty underwear. Oh, what? There were zero more details about this in the book, and I couldn't find a single article talking about it. When I Googled it, the results were like four on Google. Your Google history is probably a (laughs) real wild ride. Katie Conley, dirty panties. I mean... (laughs) Ew! (laughs) Underpants. Why'd you say that word? Underpants. (laughs) Underpants. But it was one more thing to show that Katie had another side to her that no one knew about. Soon after their breakup, while Adam was over at his new girlfriend's place, Katie called him in the middle of the night, at like midnight. He missed the call because he was sleeping, So she sent him a long text the next day about how the night before she'd had to drive herself to the hospital because of an ectopic pregnancy that she said she was positive was his. She'd nearly bled to death internally, she said, and laid on the guilt about how he hadn't been there and how she'd been left by herself. She said she'd had a medically induced miscarriage. Adam immediately dropped everything and went to her. 
They ended up having sex that night, and Adam decided to break up with his girlfriend and get back together with Katie. Oh, goodness. But this story has so many holes. First off, there's no way a hospital would let her leave the day after she'd had internal bleeding. Right. And second, after investigators heard this story, they called around to every hospital within like a 50-mile radius of Katie's house. There was no record that she'd ever been admitted anywhere. So Adam and Katie are back together, but the relationship is very shaky. Katie sensed Adam slipping away, and so she offered to loan him some money. $20,000, to be exact. What? Yeah, she said it was just in her account, and she could give it to him to help him with Katie, some financial problems she's having. You and I are also on the rocks. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, what? Who's, like, got $20,000 working in a chiropractor's office and, like, ordering colchicine? Is that what you called it? Like Colchicine. Colchicine. Mm -hmm. Like, all of those things together. Who said she's the one that bought the colchicine? And also, she was selling her dirty panties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the farts in a jar, that girl. <laughs> oh, <Ew>, no. <laughs> From 90 Day Fiance that, like... <laughs> No. Farts into a jar and seals it up and sells it. Yeah, it was like going viral. People were paying a lot of money for it. I'm like, how do you, how can you confirm there's a fart in there? Like, she could just be sending you an empty mason jar. I mean, I it's bet already they pay extra for a video of her farting into it. Yeah. It wasn't like Adam was drowning in debt, but he did have some credit cards that would be tough to pay off and he wanted to buy a car. He declined her offer at first, but she kept pushing, and eventually he accepted it with a verbal agreement that he would pay her back over time. He used the money to pay off some credit cards and buy his Jeep. Adam's depression worsened during the tough times in their relationship, and one evening he began to open up to her about suicidal thoughts that he was having. Katie one-upped him by making the same comments, hinting that she was also thinking of harming herself. Adam took the bait, he went to her place, and he found her there with a big bottle of pills that she intended to overdose on. He was able to get the pills from her and stayed with her for a while because he was afraid that she would die by suicide if he broke up with her. And this is always a big red flag to me when I hear stories like this. Anytime someone threatens to harm themselves if you break up with them or harms themselves when they feel you slipping away from them. You need to look at, do they have a pattern of warning signs of suicide? Or if the pattern is just threatening suicide anytime you do something that they don't like, or anytime you try to leave the relationship. Because if it's the former, there are resources and you can help them and, you know. But if it's the latter, that is emotional abuse and that is, a, that is manipulation. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. I, yeah, feel like that's I feel like that's to happened to so everybody. many people. I know so many people that have been in this situation where somebody's like, I'm going to kill myself if you do this thing. And you, I looked up an article about it. I'm going to put the link in the show notes because it's very upsetting. I, high school girls especially, this happens That's when to I, I was in, yep. Yes, that me was too. Me. Same. I might have been in middle school actually very oh. not equipped to handle emotions like that. And what this article said is that you can tell them that you could help them find resources to help them with any suicidal thoughts or intentions, but that the choice is ultimately theirs. The responsibility mm -hmm. is in their hands. It's not in yours. 
And anyways, I've I just hate yeah. when people use it, that. It just happened. Side note, just, so you know that person called me years later and was like, "I remember this conversation. I'm so sorry I ever like put you in that situation, gave you that ultimatum." Wow. I know. That's amazing. A man did that. Yeah. Wow. We had a really good long talk about it, and I was like, "Yeah, it was really good." But I mean, that does not happen often. But yeah, no. <laughs> Wow. I know. <laughs> That's awesome. I Good know. for that guy. Good for I you, know. guy. Good for you, guy. All Hope of you're these doing the best. All of these incidents to me, the pregnancy, the don't leave because I'm, you know, suicidal, like all of these That's things. That's like textbook. Those are like all the textbook master hooks. manipulator. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't end there. Okay, in 2014, Katie drafted a note in her notes app about a violent incident between her and Adam. She sent the note that she drafted to Adam, accusing him of having violently assaulted her, attempting to murder her, and then violently raping her. What? Adam would sometimes drink to the point of blacking out, and he started to wonder if it was possible that he'd done this and didn't remember it. There were no photos of her injuries, but she claimed there were cuts, bites, and bruises. And then over the next few weeks, she did send Adam photos of her bruises, but no photos of the cuts or bites. None of the photos had her face in them, and the photos didn't match the list of injuries that Katie had created. Adam started to wonder if Katie had downloaded random bruise photos from the internet. Reverse Google image search. Yeah, well... 2014, was catfish out yet? Had Neve taught us that trick yet? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Adam wondered if Katie, okay, once he started suspecting her of lying, he felt they should never see each other again. And disclaimer, I don't know if Katie is lying about the rape and the abuse. And I want to remind any naysayers listening that false reports of rape are somewhere between 2 to 10% of reported rapes. But something like 70% of rapes aren't even reported. So it's like 0.5% of actual rapes. I think every claim of rape should be investigated like any other reported crime. And I think that if you investigate Katie's claims, there are a lot of things that look suspicious. But I wasn't there. I don't know. He could have been abusive. Doesn't mean, you know, she's innocent. Yeah. I think we've established the relationship is toxic and abusive. On both sides, yes. When Adam stopped responding to Katie's messages and at the urging of her new boyfriend, Katie filed a police report on November 1st, 2014, about the assault. This is like two months before the Colchicine was purchased. Hmm. She hadn't gotten a medical exam after the incident, and she'd waited three months to file the report, neither of which is abnormal or means she's lying. But it does substantially limit the amount of evidence that there is. Police asked her for photos of the injuries, but she never gave them to them, even though she supposedly had these photos that she'd sent to Adam. And even though that would be some of the only evidence they had of this attack, it was later found that the photos she sent to Adam were taken months after the alleged assault. Months after? Yes. Okay. And again, the only thing I know for sure was that this relationship was toxic. There were toxic behaviors on both sides, and it's definitely possible that Adam and Katie's fights turned physical. But I think the fact that she was lying about those pictures makes her story unreliable, to say the least. Katie later dropped the charges, 
and began to use her dropping the charges as leverage to try to manipulate him into talking to her. She also started using that $20,000 she'd loaned him as leverage. About a month before Mary died, Katie texted Adam $23,839.99 ASAP. (gasps) Obviously referring to the money, and she said she was now charging him compound interest. Ew. She said she was just reminding him of the debt. Just reminding him. That's... I never want to be indebted. Listen, I know I owe my student loans, but I never want to be indebted to a human being that I know. No, yeah, no, no. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Around April, Katie used a notes app to draft what appeared to be her end of a conversation about the benefits of a supplement called Alpha Brain that supposedly would help Adam focus. That actually exists, though. Alpha Brain? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't take stuff called Alpha Brain, MoGab. Why not? It's called Alpha Brain. It sounds stupid. Oh. It sounds like, like uh, it sounds like one of those pills that promises to unlock the ni- no, other like 90% a- of your brain. <laughs> Limitless. <laughs> it's like a vitamin, right? <laughs> it's like a vitamin, I think. Well, she began to push it on him in text saying how much it would help him with his studies. And even though he wasn't really interested, he reluctantly agreed to try it. They made plans to meet for lunch so she could give him a bottle of it. He took one of the pills, but nothing happened. He continued to experience focus problems. And I kind of think that this might be like, you know that you abuse Adderall. Maybe this supplement would be a healthier way and could help you with your focus issues instead of the Adderall, you know? Right. But he took one of the pills, but nothing happened. He continued to experience focus problems, and so he tried another pill after Katie encouraged him to do so about a week later. Within an hour of taking the second pill, he became sick and started (gasps) vomiting. That was April 22nd, 2015, three months after the Mr. Adam Yoder Gmail had purchased the colchicine and three months before Mary's death. Wait a second. Katie! (laughs) 
It's not alpha brain. It's Colchazine. And I don't know here if she was trying to kill him or if this was like a test run for test her. Run. But why is he tra- she trying to kill his mom? I don't know. Adam texted his dad, who took him to urgent care and then took him to the family home to care for him. Adam became dehydrated quickly, and his sister Liana advised Bill to take Adam to the ER, at least for fluids. Liana is the real peep of the week. Yeah, she's the doctor, yes. Yeah. Adam continued to describe constant pain in his stomach area. It took him three to four weeks to recover. Adam considered the possibility that Katie had spiked the alpha brain pills with something. He even texted her something along the lines of, if you poisoned me, we can't be friends anymore. Like joking, because Mm -hmm. the truth was obviously way too hard to face. So you like turn it into a joke. But would you, but would you assume that like, I feel like. It was an hour after he'd taken this weird pill. Well, I'd think I was having some reaction to the pill. I would not think. That they were poisoning me. Right. But if, but if I had gone through all of this with somebody, she just accused me of rape four months ago. She had this pregnancy thing. She, you know, I mean, yeah. all of these things they've gone through together. It probably popped up in the back of his mind. Like, what if Katie poisoned me with that? But like, not enough to take it seriously, you know? Yeah, like poisoning feels so like 1800s to me. You know? Well, that's interesting that you say that. You'll be interested to hear what Katie thinks about poisoning oh don't you dare compare the two of us (laughs) no it's not comparable but i think you'll be interested to hear how she describes it later while investigating mary's death the police got this bottle of alpha brain as potential evidence adam had taken two pills from the bottle the second of which made him sick the bottle label said 30 tablets had been included but there were still 29 pills in the bottle which means that when Katie gave the bottle to Adam, there were 31 tablets in it. Hmm. But, okay. Like she'd put an extra one. Right. But how would, how would she know if that pill was the one? How would she know that's the one he would take? She'd just keep telling him to take it till he took it. She probably put it on the top, you know, so it'd be one of the top ones that he would take. Yeah. So when the first one didn't work, she was like, you should try another one. And they look that similar? She must have made it look similar. Somehow. I mean, this is all... They can't prove that the colchicine was in the alpha brain pill. You know, I mean, they they can't prove that. But somebody made him really sick. And it could have been something else. It might not have even been the alpha brain. You know, maybe... She did like it some she other way. Like she crush it up and put it in his drink or whatever. Yeah, but they just weren't hanging out at this point. Like they agreed to meet up so she could give him the alpha brain to help him study. But yeah. they were not like regularly hanging out. Mm-hmm. So investigators are now really looking into Katie Conley for the murder of Mary Yoder. They know the Colchicine was purchased with prepaid Visa gift cards. And nine days before the Mr. Adam Yoder email address was created, in December of 2014, Katie had gone into a supermarket and purchased a $150 Visa gift card. Yeah, that whole, I forgot, all the the paying with things with a Visa gift card, like, Mm -hmm. you obviously don't want, you're trying to prevent a paper trail with the email and the card. Right. But, like, it's still there because they know that you're the one that bought the card. On January 5th, Mr. Adam Yoder ordered ordered one gram of colchicine, which is enough to kill several people, 
and was told there wasn't enough money on the gift card to cover the order. The price had increased. On that same day, a $200 prepaid Visa gift card was purchased at the same supermarket as before, and this was the card that was used to purchase the colchicine. Yeah, like mix it up. At least go to like a Walgreens, get a different card. I mean, these right. people are killing me. On February 6th, the colchicine was delivered and signed by Katie Conley, which in her defense, all the packages yeah. come yeah. into the Sign office and she signs for everything. Yeah. Rosa Vargas from Art Chemical said that the first time the order hadn't gone through, she'd called the chiropractic office to speak to them about the increase in the price. And she said the voice on the other end was that of a young woman. So not Adam Yoder and not Bill Yoder. Mm -hmm. And surely Mary Yoder, I mean, she could have sounded young, but surely she had not purchased the colchicine herself using a Gmail account named after her son. Right. Also, side note, the password to the Mr. Adam Yoder Gmail account was Adam is gay. (gasps) Real subtle, Katie. We're not doing that. No, that password was also found in Katie's notes app on her phone. Oh, well, that is a slam dunk. Katie's phone was just a treasure trove of evidence. They found one note that had math that looked to be Katie working out the correct dosage to kill a 180-pound person. That's how much Adam Yoder weighed. The math was surrounded by other short notes that appeared to exist solely to camouflage the true purpose of this note. They also found that Katie had deleted an app called Cam Scanner from her phone, but it still existed on the cloud linked to her account. This app had been used to create the shell corporation Cairo Family Care, and that's what had been used to buy the colchicine. That's how she was able to get the business license and all of that. She created it all. Katie had a W-9 under Bill Yoder's name in the Cam Scanner <gasps> app with Mary Yoder's stamped signature. And the account for Cam Scanner was linked to the Mr. Adam Yoder Gmail account. All the documents sent to Rosa Vargas for the colchicine purchase were stamped with a Cam Scanner watermark only visible to the recipient. She had deleted so many notes off her phone, she would write out everything, like in a draft. One document on her phone that she later deleted was called Diagnosis and Treatment of Colchicine Poisoning. She even had a deleted draft of a Facebook post talking about how much she missed Mary, how sad she was gone, how important she'd been to her. She would later post it after Mary had died. The draft was created before Mary died. Oh, my gosh. That to me is like, that's that's it. That's all I need. And one was a draft of that anonymous letter, the one accusing Adam Yoder of murdering his mother because she hadn't given him enough attention. So Van Namey wants to confront Katie with all this information that they had learned and just see how she reacts. He called her in and she agreed to come in grudgingly. And she came without a lawyer. Van Namey told Katie that she was free to leave at any time and that he was looking for a motive of why Adam might have wanted to kill his mother. He told her that because he would be sharing information with her about an open case, he had to read her her Miranda rights, which he did. Van Namey asked her twice if she was sure if she wanted to continue without a lawyer present, and she said she did. That I can't believe, that Mm -hmm. she really thinks she's, like, done this so well. I know. Yeah. Throughout all of this, Katie is crying and panic breathing like she's having a panic attack, and she tells him that she's scared. Van Namey asked her why, and she said, because Adam was really smart, implying that he might have been smart enough to frame her for this. 
Under questioning, Katie admitted that she was the one who had sent the anonymous letter. Oh. She stated that Adam had told her how he'd killed his mother and that the colchicine was in his Jeep. Then Amy asked Katie when the last time she spoke to Adam was, and she said September. But the Mr. Adam Yoder account was accessed from her house in October, meaning that it couldn't be Adam accessing it from her computer, nor would he have had access to her phone. They questioned Katie about all the cam scanner stuff, and she said maybe someone else had used her phone to scan the documents, or someone had hacked her phone. And her supporters, because she does have a lot of supporters, and we'll get into them and their side later. But Yeah, I would really love to. Yeah. They say that Katie's phone, like she was on the Yoder's phone plan, and that her and Adam shared an Apple ID. And so... It is possible that it's just linked, but it wouldn't be on her phone. Anyways, they were able to get her to admit after lying about some CCTV footage that didn't exist that she had been the one to buy the prepaid Visa gift cards that were used to buy the culture scene. Van Nami asked if Katie's fingerprints would be on any part of the package of culture scene, and she said no. And then she left a little loophole because as the office manager, she does sign for and handle all the packages that come through the clinic. But Van Namey knew the bottle of colchicine had female DNA traces, and he knew exactly who those traces would match up to. Katie Conley. (laughs) During this interview, she said something really odd. And this is what I was referring to earlier. She said, quote, guys don't use poison. They say it's a lady's weapon. Hmm. It was a weird thing to say. I mean, she could have been saying, like, she could have been trying to say Adam Yoder used a lady's weapon to frame me for this. But Mm -hmm. detectives also took it almost like a confession. Like, what are you saying here, lady? (laughs) Lady? (laughs) Your lady weapons? (laughs) What are the lady weapons you got got lying around there? (laughs) So many things didn't add up with Katie's story for detectives. Why would Adam keep the murder weapon in his car for months after the murder? Because remember, they didn't even really start investigating for a couple of months. You know, it had been July, August, like maybe three or four months by the time, you know, they searched his Jeep. Right. Why not dispose of it? Why not throw it away? And why would he have confessed all of this in the first place to her when they'd been broken up for quite some time and were not on the best of terms? Yeah, especially if she's threatened all this stuff. I'm not exactly, like, divulging information to right. someone who... She's, like, held, like, the, all the fact stuff that she dropped you. charges against him. She's holding this money over his head. Money. But, yeah, you're yeah. going to also put her in a position where she can hold murder over your head? Okay. Yeah, no thanks. But she continued to deny that she'd murdered Mary, though she did acknowledge that the stack of evidence was scary since it all pointed to her. She claimed she didn't know how it all pointed to her. And in the end, she did not admit to the crime. She just fell silent. Hmm. Investigators began to look for information on how Katie had come into the money that she'd loaned Adam. Yeah, I'm curious. $20,000. Yeah. Around the time that she loaned him the $20,000, she also bought a three-year-old Honda Accord. So she's like, here's $20,000 and I'm going to go buy a used Honda. Old car, yeah. During the search of Katie's house, they found a bag of cash in her room. After examining the books from the chiropractor clinic, 
The sheriff's office and Bill Yoder agreed that Katie must have been embezzling money from the practice. Shut up. Bill and Mary never noticed because they were more focused on patient care and they never kept a close eye on the books. Though Bill did run the business side of it, so I don't know how he missed that she was embezzling all this money. Well, I wonder how much she was, like, in what increments she was doing it, you know? Probably not very large. Probably pretty small right. increments. Like 100 bucks here and there until she got to 20000 you know? Yeah, well, and then she's also selling the dirty underwear. Who knows what those are going for? (laughs) The assistant district attorneys prepared to indict Katie. A grand jury was convened and presented with 124 exhibits, 17 witnesses, and 800 pages of testimony transcripts. So she was in custody at this point? Yeah, they arrested her. They indicted her. After four days of examining the testimony and evidence, the grand jury indicted Katie on the charges of one count of murder in the second degree, one count of forgery in the second degree, two counts of falsifying business records in the first degree, and two counts of petty larceny. Why is it murder in the second degree? I forget how the degrees work. So thank you for asking. It was not first degree murder because we talked about this in the Lucky episode, but in New York State, first degree murder is all about the victim. If the victim is law enforcement, an emergency response personnel, Or if there are special circumstances, like if there's multiple murder, torture, or a murder that occurs while committing another felony. The sentencing guidelines for first and second degree murder, if I'm not mistaken, are not different. It's just like the degrees. Katie would still be Mm -hmm. facing life in prison if she was convicted. Katie's trial began on April 25th, 2017. Katie had many supporters who believed she was wrongly accused, and this included three of Mary's sisters. What? Yes, they were and continue to be certain that Bill had murdered his wife. They are certain that Bill's relationship with Kathleen started before Mary's death and was the impetus for the murder, as well as his... Kathleen is, oh, a friend, not a sister. She's a sister. Mary's got lots of sisters. Kathleen is not one of the three sisters. Yeah. I think she might have been one of seven, but I might be mixing her up with Katie. I'm not sure how many sisters she had, but she had a bunch. Three of them think Bill did it. One of them is dating Bill. They believe that Bill and Adam were in cahoots to kill Mary and frame Katie for the murder. And in all fairness to the other side, I do want to outline some of their points about why they believe this and how they believe it all went down. I'm not going to go into all their points because some of them are ridiculous, but I will link the website in the show notes. It's free, CaitlinConley.com, if anyone is interested in reading just like all the details about it. But first, motive. They believe that Bill's motive was mainly that he'd been having an affair with Kathleen. They found a witness, a neighbor of Kathleen's, who testified that she had seen Bill and Kathleen together on the porch, basically making out before Mary had died. But none of the cell phone records back this up. There's nothing to corroborate this eyewitness testimony. And eyewitness testimony can be pretty shaky. It's got to have something corroborating it or I'm just not buying it. Her dates could have been messed up. She could have thought it was before, but it was really after, you know. I mean, who's to say if it was April 3rd or April 20th, you know? Yeah. They also thought it was financially motivated. With Mary gone, Bill could now afford to retire. And after Mary's death, Bill never went back to work. There were also behaviors of Bill's after Mary's death that they thought was very suspicious. 
First, Bill had Mary's body cremated so quickly after she died of such a mysterious illness, which, fair point. I don't have any details on if Mary had, like, a death plan, if she'd asked to be cremated, if that was something that they had talked about. It doesn't seem like she had a will, and she did not have life insurance. So I feel like she wasn't really, like, preparing to die, and that it doesn't seem like that would have been, but... But I just don't know. If she didn't have some kind of death plan of like, I want to be cremated like right away, this jump right. to cremation is definitely suspicious to me when it's so when they don't have a cause of death, you know? If she didn't have the life insurance, what's the the point before this where you were like, now he can retire, like he doesn't have so, a financial like there's like, he got no money. I guess like she couldn't do the practice on her own. And so This way, like, he got this, like, $500,000 inheritance, which would have been enough for him to retire, but not both of them together. It it seems pretty weak to me, considering they had talked about selling the practice. Like, it would have taken a few years. They would have to find somebody to buy it from them, and then they would have to train that person for several years to, like, make sure that they knew the patients and that they were going to be a good fit and, and could take over their practice. That was kind of their plan, but they still had that plan. So, but it's maybe he just wanted to get a jump on things because of Kathleen, you know? Mm-hmm. They said that there was no evidence. This is Mary, uh, Caitlin's supporters say that there's no evidence that Mary had a shake for lunch, which is how the prosecution would say that Katie poisoned her, that she put it in the shake. They said her medical record said that Mary had a protein bar for lunch and grilled chicken for dinner that night. But Bill said she hadn't eaten any dinner because she'd been so violently ill. So I'm just thinking this could be a misunderstanding and that she'd had grilled chicken like the night before for dinner. Like those were the last Ugh. things she'd eaten. So weird to think about. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. They outline why it would have been impossible for Katie to poison Mary. Like she had a protein bar. Uh, Mary went to her mom's for lunch. and But they don't give any theories on how Bill would have had the opportunity to do so either because he was at home. I guess at breakfast, he could have poisoned her. Sometimes the onset of symptoms don't happen for a full 24 hours and, and she did start getting sick later that afternoon. So maybe at breakfast. They said it was several months after Mary's death that Bill and Adam started working on framing Katie. They started spending a lot of time together after Mary's death, which seemed weird to her sister's. Because there'd always been like friction and animosity between Bill and Adam. But I think that the death of your mother and your wife might be something that would change that friction and animosity, you know? Yeah, I would hope. They point out that all the documents used against Katie were under Adam and Mary's names, not Katie's. Which seems like it goes against them trying to frame Katie. Like, wouldn't they have used her name if they were trying to frame her? Like, why is that? Like they're pointing out, and we'd like to point out that all these documents were under Adam and Mary's names, not Katie's. And it's like, yeah, because she wrote them. But it's like flip-flopping. It's like some of the things they're saying couldn't be possible Mm -hmm. because she didn't do them. And the other things are like, oh, she was framed. You know what I mean? Right. They're saying she was framed for everything that Bill and and Adam got together and framed her for all of this stuff. Yeah. But then it's like, but her name, I mean, like it's. I don't know. I just keep yeah. going back and forth. Uh-huh. They say that Bill and Adam had access to all the devices used to implicate Katie and that Adam and Katie even shared an Apple ID. They said that Bill and Adam were computer geniuses because they knew how to use VPNs, 
proxy servers, and remote desktop applications. I know how to do all of that, and I'm a technological idiot. My dad uses a VPN, and I had to show him how to add the podcast onto like <laughs> the bonus content onto his podcast app. So, yeah. They said Adam made all A's except for one B in his computer science classes in college that obviously taught you how to be a hacker. And they said Bill has army intelligence training. And they also, you know, hacking was just Was it you I was talking to hackers about today? Mm-mm. We were talking about hackers? Oh, I was like, when is someone just going to hack in and delete student loans? I feel like there's a hacker out there Anonymous, that could do the just, Lord's work. <laughs> yes. Like, I mean, wouldn't that be so nice? Like, yes. hack for the good of the people. That's anonymous. You should reach out. Yeah. They should do that. They should just cancel all like, student debt. Could you imagine? Like, they should just do it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Bill and Adam had once built a computer together, Mogab. So they would clearly know. How- and get this, get this, get this. This is the best example that they gave of what a computer genius they are. Bill even knew how to pirate movies way back in the 80s. Is that when you would just, it would come on TV and you put a VHS in and record over like a family movie? Close. No, it's when you would hook (laughs) up two recorders to each other and you press play on one and Mm -hmm. record on the other one. That was how he pirated. Do you remember trying to record on like a cassette tape from the radio? Oh, constantly. And you always (laughs) had that beginning because it would like the the DJ would talk over the beginning. They'd be like, all right, on 104 KRBE, this is... (laughs) Brandy and Monica, the boy is mine. And you're like, shut up. They've already started singing. <laughs> the boy is mine. I love Why is it the say only you're... thing I can think of? <laughs> I don't know, but I probably could do all the lyrics from that song right now. I love how you said you were going to do the other side so that we had the argument. And you like do give the facts while also <laughs> I just throwing sprinkling a light shade on top. Well, because on the other hand, to hack into a person's computer and cell phone and leave absolutely no trace that you've been there would truly take an expert. I'm not even I don't even know if it's possible, but I do know that 70 year old Bill and, you know, screw up college dropout Adam did not know how to hack into a computer and a phone and leave no trace. I highly doubt it. They, They maybe they did. I don't know them, but it just seems so unlikely. And it was all these rough drafts that she'd write and delete, all of that. Yeah, to me, that is like she already had a – she had a Facebook mem- in mm-hmm. in memory of mm-hmm. post typed up before this woman was dead. Yeah, but like maybe they faked that or maybe they put it in her phone, you know, I before. Know, no, no one's doing that. They had several other points against Bill. The facts that he ran a marijuana farm in the 70s, stuff like that, you know, because – It was the 70s. It was the 70s. (laughs) And here's what they don't do, all right? They don't explain the anonymous letter. How would she have written the anonymous letter about it being Adam if they were trying to frame her? Or the email address, okay, the Mr. Adam Yoder email address coming back to her. Or the prepaid Visa gift cards. Like, they they don't explain any of those stuff that, to me, are the very glaringly obvious your girl Katie did this because of these Explain things, it. the anonymous letter. Because if it, right. well, I guess they are saying that it was Adam, but they're saying that Adam is framing Katie, but then also told her that he committed the murder 
So she wrote to police to tell them that Adam told her that he had killed her, but he's also framing her. Like, what? What? That doesn't make any sense. So explain that. Explain how Katie knew that Adam had killed Mary with colchicine. Because colchicine was not something that had been released to the public. Only the killer would have known that colchicine was used. And she talked about it in the letter. Yeah. Like, this girl, I I don't even feel like she was careful. I do not feel like she was careful. Right. Can I look her up yet? Can I Google what she looks like? Yeah, you can Google what she looks like. And the password is Adam is gay. Why would they create the email address Mr. Adam Yoder at, at 1990 with a password Adam is gay? If they were framing Katie, wouldn't they use her name? Yeah. Or just a, a different password. Right. You know, like just a password like brown dog one, two, three. I mean. I- right. And how do they explain away the fact that she's the one that purchased the Visa gift cards that were used to buy the culture scene? She admitted that. They ignore all of those points. This is like kind of what I was picturing. (laughs) I always pictured her blonde, so, and she's not. They were asked to take part, like, Katie's supporters and Katie were all asked to take part in the book that was used for this episode, which is We Thought We Knew You by M. William Phelps. Oh, what a good title. I know. And they all declined. And, you know, they did all participate in the Dateline episode, though, which I could only find the audio of on the Dateline podcast. And it definitely paints the light in Katie's favor. Like a lot of this stuff that I talked about is not in there. It's very ignored. A lot of airtime is given to Mary's sisters in that episode. Also, when I use books, I like to go and look at the one star reviews on Amazon to see if there's like a lot of people dissenting the conclusions of the books. Like, what do people think about this book? You know, and one reviewer said that the sheriff turned out to be Bill's neighbor, which, (laughs) if true, seems weird and like a conflict of interest. Right. Especially since they gave Bill full immunity. He can never be prosecuted for Mary's death in exchange for his testimony at trial, which seems like a really, really ridiculously good deal for Bill. It makes me wonder if I might be missing something here, because I don't know why they would have to give him such a good deal. They could have just asked him to testify. And if he's really innocent, he would have just testified. So wouldn't he just testify in his wife's? Yeah, it's, Murder? it yeah. feels really weird. Like, it does make me wonder if I'm missing something here, this immunity agreement. But there's just nothing about Bill's behavior that explains away all the evidence against Katie. The letter, the gift cards, and the email address. Those are my biggies. There's just not. Uh, I, yeah. What did you say? Her, the phone, the email the letter, address? The letter, the gift cards, and the email address. And the email address. To me, it's all of those plus... I mean, even if you took away all of her phone stuff, I still am like the letter. If Bill did it, then why does your letter say Adam did it? If Bill and Adam did it together and tried to frame you for it, why would he tell you that he did it? And and if and if he didn't tell you he did it and you just wrote the letter, how'd you know it was colchicine? Yeah. You know, (sighs) she has too much information. She has too much information. I'm just going to give highlights of the trial here because most of what the about evidence. All the stuff, what about all the stuff, the app on her phone to make the fake business to order it? Like, Well, they're saying that they share an Apple ID. And so maybe yeah, that's like, not true. Have you ever tried to get any like have you ever tried so, logging into your Apple ID? I mean, it's a cluster. Like I Googled it. Can you share an Apple ID? And everything that I could get is Apple does not recommend that you share an Apple ID, but they were on the same family plan. 
And so they say families should have individual Apple plans that are connected so that like they can still buy apps and stuff on the same account, but they would have different Apple IDs. And that's what they suggest. So it seems to me like there is an option for all of you sharing the same Apple ID also. But it's a, I mean, it's, yeah. Now, why? And it, I I mean, I do think it's true that Katie was on this family plan with them. I don't know why they had her on their family phone plan, but she's got like seven sisters. Why wasn't she on a family plan with her family? No, I thought Why is she on a family plan with the Yoder's family? Well, Katie's got a bunch of sisters too. One of them has seven sisters. But I think it was Katie that had the seven sisters. I'm not positive. I don't remember. It's not in my script. Yeah, there's got to be a phone discount plan for that. I'm just going to give highlights of the trial here because most of the evidence and the defense has already been outlined for you. The defense is basically what Mary's supporters are saying. She's framed, all of that. The prosecution did not Mary's offer- supporters or Katie's supporters? Sorry, Katie's supporters. Mary's sisters, Katie's supporters. The prosecution did not offer a motive, stating that in most cases, motive is not an element of the crime, which I disagree with. But the defense argued that the lack of a motive is the most important element of this case because Katie had no reason to commit this crime, which I think is still the hardest thing to get behind is that we don't know why she did this. We don't know why she tried to kill Mary. Katie's behavior throughout the trial was seen as very odd. They said she'd wear short skirts without pantyhose, which I hate because it's like, okay. But then I'm sorry, one- are we even still selling pantyhose? Like, right. And then, but then one person in the courtroom said he'd seen Katie like turn towards the male jurors, smile at them, and like spread her legs, which I, only one person said that. So I don't know if she did that. Is it the same person that says she's selling her dirty, pants? dirty, dirty underpants? Underpants. Maybe. Phelps, the author of the book uh, that was the main source for this, he pointed out that Katie's behavior was similar to the film Basic Instinct or some of the behavior of Jody Arias. When there were breaks in the trial, Katie would hold court in the hallways with friends and family laughing and didn't seem to be taking this trial very seriously at all. Adam testified, and it's interesting to note that throughout her trial, Katie only cried once when Adam stated that she was not a good girlfriend. That's her biggest concern? Apparently. Newsflash, you killed his mom, so you're definitely not. Right. The defense kept trying to throw all the suspicion onto Bill and Adam, but they never brought up any actual evidence against them or how they could have done this. They kind of were just slandering their name. Isn't it true you started dating Kathleen before Mary died? No. Oh, really? Isn't it true that you had a pot farm in the 70s? Like, you know, just stuff like that that they were bringing up. I have to say, too, I don't think it's, like, a good look to date, like, your deceased partner's siblings. The optics are terrible. It looks terrible. But could you see where, like, they're obviously similar, that, like, you're grieving this person and then someone that's a lot like that person is available, that it feels like a comfortable move? Yeah, and and, and Liana, their daughter, is constantly standing up for them because she's the one that, like, suggested in the first place that Bill should go, like, reach out to Kathleen because she might be a good support system for him. And Uh she's like, this didn't start until after, you know. I just don't think it's so far-fetched. Like, if you miss the person. I don't think it's far-fetched at all. People grow close after a murder. I think it looks bad. I can see how yeah. it looks bad. 
you know? Well, that coupled with the, like, you know, deal that he can never be charged. Like That looks really bad. I don't know why they gave him that deal. I know. It looks so bad. But I'm sure you're taking it even if you are innocent because you've seen a lot of crazy things happen where people... Oh, there's no way I'm not taking that deal because even if I right. look guilty as hell, I will never be found guilty in a court of law. Yeah. So, right. you know, Katie did not testify in her own defense. She must have learned from Mazarius. When it was time for jury deliberations, the jury had a lot of trouble with this. The defense had accomplished its goal of making the Yoders look really, really bad. They also just couldn't understand why Katie would have done this. There didn't seem to be any sort of motive here. And also the majority of the evidence against Katie was all very technical and there was like so much of it that it was hard to really wrap their heads around any of it. Mm -hmm. After only one day, the jury sent a note saying that they were deadlocked. The judge told them to keep discussing and to do their best to reach a unanimous verdict. But after deliberating for several more days, they again came back deadlocked and the trial ended in a mistrial. Katie would have to be retried with a new jury. Oh, my gosh. After the mistrial, the prosecution discovered that someone on the jury was connected with Katie's family. And they thought that that must be the reason as to why the prosecutors had been so anxious throughout this trial, while Katie had seemed so casual. She'd been braiding her sister's hair during breaks, giggling with them, checking her phone, and just acting very casually throughout the whole trial. After the dismissal, Katie and her sisters were seen taking selfies in front of her attorney's fancy sports car laughing, which I feel like is something you would do after dismissal. (laughs) Uh, Not in a murder. Beat the system. Okay, yeah, you're right. Not in a murder trial. (laughs) You would have said beat the system. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, not great. Do it one time and I'll follow me around. (laughs) For the second trial, ADA Stacy Scotty knew what would really help them was to understand Katie's motive. She looked at Katie's strange pattern of behavior to get some insight, and she believed that Katie was nothing more than a woman scorned. After Adam stopped rising to her manipulation tactics, left her for the last time, and had the audacity to move on with someone new, she got her revenge by poisoning him and then killing his mother, and then framing him for it, using his name for the email address, sending the anonymous letter. She needed control, and this was how she got it back. Yeah, maybe this was less about Mary and more about Adam Adam. going away, Mm -hmm. which I guess I didn't really think about. Like, I want to hurt him. How can I hurt him the worst? Mm -hmm. Taking his mom away, framing him for her murder. So everyone hates him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Monster. That's a lifetime movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's about to be, I'm sure. It also had the added result of initially bringing Adam and Katie closer together after the murder. Like he had leaned on her for support and she was welcomed back to family gatherings, something that he'd banned her from after their last and final breakup. And that's why she's doing a post about how much she loved his mom and how Mm -hmm. important she was. And she would have gotten away with the whole thing if she had never sent that anonymous letter, which led police to that bottle of colchicine in Adam's truck and the Mr. Adam Yoder Gmail account that was on the receipt for the colchicine. 
Yeah. So the prosecution felt they now had a compelling narrative and motive, and they were hoping that this time the jury would see that. The prosecution was going back over evidence, trying to find if they had missed anything, and they struck gold. They found a screenshot of a search for world's most dangerous toxins. It had been deleted, but they were able to recover the image. There was also an image by artist Chiara Bautista, which I hope I'm saying that right, that could have spoken to Katie's state of mind about the breakup. It, too, had been deleted and then recovered. The painting was titled The Breakup, and it was of a mermaid kneeling before the body of a decapitated man laying in the water with a sword sticking out of his back, and she's holding the man's head up to the sun. And it's got the breakup written underneath it. Yeah. And that was found on her phone. (laughs) I'm glad Katie didn't go that route. Right. During Katie's second trial, she was much less casual. She seemed to be taking this trial a lot more seriously. The prosecution's main point was main points was all of the data on Katie's phone that proved that she had repeatedly lied and manipulated everyone in her life regularly, methodically, and purposefully. The defense's main That would have been me, too. That would have been my points if I was mm -hmm. the prosecutor. That Mm -hmm. step one. Yep. The defense's main points were that Adam was abusive. In the end, the jury found her not guilty of murder in the second degree, but found her guilty of manslaughter in the first degree. Meaning that the prosecution had proved that Katie had poisoned Mary, but not that Katie had intended to kill her. The prosecution thinks that they were struggling with the motive. They just couldn't understand why she would intend to kill Mary. I think it was like a cop-out vote. Like, they weren't able to get everyone to second-degree murder, so they compromised to manslaughter. That's what I think happened. The defense was angry that the prosecution hadn't introduced the manslaughter option, as originally they had not charged her with manslaughter, but it was permitted by the judge. Katie was very stoic as she learned the outcome. At her sentencing trial, Adam made a statement where he felt responsible because he had brought Katie into his family's life. That's very natural, I'm sure. Absolutely. Katie simply stated that she was innocent and thanked those who supported her. She expressed no sympathy for Mary, no empathy for the family, no remorse. She took no responsibility. She was sentenced to 23 years in prison and will be eligible for parole in 2037. She recently lost her appeal in 2021 and will continue serving her time in Bedford Hills Correctional Facility. Like I said, there are many, many people that still think Katie is innocent. But according to the author of the book, Phelps, this is one of the strongest circumstantial cases ever tried. The computer forensics alone seem exceedingly difficult to have been manipulated. And so this whole idea that Bill and Adam hacked into her phone and planted all of that stuff it's just not possible. And, and I feel like I kind of was talking to Sabrina about this. We were texting back and forth while I was like working through her work. And I was like, it seems to me something that someone that's not that familiar with computers and doesn't really know how that would work, that they would say, oh, they just hacked it all because they don't know like what you're saying is just not it's just not possible. You didn't, yeah. And they didn't hack it for like one thing. We're talking about notes and screenshots and search history and files and email. I mean, like, 
at that point, I would just like buy a whole new phone, do everything, and then switch her phones. I mean, I don't know. Right. I just like well, and to me, the computer forensics isn't even the most compelling evidence. Like it is compelling because it's like interesting and juicy. But the stuff that makes me say she did it again, the letter, because if it wasn't Adam, then it was the killer who wrote that letter. That's the end. The Adam Yoder Gmail and the prepaid gift cards. I mean, explain those away and maybe, you know. But how do you know the prepaid gift cards were linked to her? She. Because she's. They had CCTV footage of her buying them. Of her buying them. Yeah. Wait, no, they lied about that. They lied about having CCTV footage of her buying them. And so she admitted that she had bought them. Hmm. But I think they knew she bought the first one. They just didn't know about the second one. I'm not sure. But she admitted to it. Under questioning, she said that it had been her. And And I do not think that this was bad questioning. I do not think. I've listened to some of the interrogations. This was not. We're keeping you in a room for 12 hours with no food or drinks and no phone calls until you confess. Like, that's not what these interrogations were. These or these questionings. So. I don't think it was like false that she didn't really buy the gift cards because she never confessed to the crime. Mm -hmm. It's just a weird story because I, yeah, I could, I I can kind of get behind what you were saying about why she did it, but it still just makes no sense to me, you know? Yeah. All right. Do we have shout outs? You know, we do. Oh yeah. We skipped last week. So that was sad. But it was... Because uh, last week's was sad. Last week's was sad. And it was so long. And you had oh, so much so work to do. Late. And it was late. Hey, put it on me. <laughs> oh, we got so many more. How fun. I know. How fun. How do you get a shout out on the podcast, MoGab? Oh, let me tell you. You fill out the form that's on the Patreon. You sign up for our Patreon. You go to the form, you fill it out because we don't want to out you, (laughs) you know? Right. (laughs) We're also going to do this one down here because it keeps moving. Okay. So join the Patreon at any level. You get your shout out on the podcast. But like MoGab said, you got to fill out the form. You got to fill out the form. That's uh, pinned on the Patreon. So follow the rules, people. First shout out of the night. I like it. Keep it mm-hmm. simple. Keep it tidy. Keep it neat. Catherine, exclamation point. <laughs> I was going to say, you better put that excitement in your voice. Catherine! 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 Thank you. Next up is Jen Miz. Thank you so this much, one? Jen Miz. Jen Miz rhymes with Liz. Jen, short for Jennifer, and Miz rhymes with Liz. Okay, I really like this next name. I want to get it right. Mm-hmm. I, need my, I need my cheaters. Sarissa. Oh, Sarissa. Okay. I need, yeah, I need you to say it first. That was, was like a perfect, like- that was the most perfect pronunciation guide that Sarissa, Sarissa gave us. Sarissa. Unless I just ah. messed it up. She's going to be like, yeah, that's totally wrong. <laughs> Sarissa, I love your name. That's beautiful. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Another one, our, apparently, our sister from another mister, Molly. We got seven. <laughs> got seven. We got seven sisters from another misters? Well, I, everybody in the story did, apparently. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Molly. Uh, Molly. Sister? And then Denise Smith, who says, LOL, my name is pretty generic, and I might cause more confusion by trying to sound it out. Let's just tell you that it's a normal pronunciation, <laughs> smiley face. Which I think holds nice. a record. <laughs> D-nice. 
I think that explanation holds a record for the longest one. Which is yes, fun. yes. So I read it as such. And thanks so much to Kara Kapaibo. Is it Kapaibo? She didn't give us a pronunciation. It looks like an L. I like Kapaibo. Oh, Kapalbo. That is an L. I got to uh, zoom in. Thank know. you to Kara Kapalbo. You need your cheaters too. Yeah, I do need my cheaters. Well, the L and the I, you know. You never really know. Kara Kapalbo, I'm sorry I messed up your name the first time. I hope it's Kapalbo. Thank you guys so much. And if you would like your shout out, make sure you to join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Creepers. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope that you liked it. If you want to find us on socials, that would be awesome. We are in our Facebook discussion group. It's so much fun. We're almost at 600 members in there. So join our Facebook discussion group. That would be great. So fun. Find us on Instagram, Twitter at CreepersPod. Our Gmail is CreepersPod at gmail.com. And make sure that you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you will be notified when the next episode drops, when I will tell Mogab another wild story. Hey, and give us a rating and review because we're getting close to 500, okay? And nothing would make us more happy in tourist season, which is the fast a five-star rating and a five-star review. Because it's our birthdays coming up, coming oh, up. So. it is our birthdays, yes. Bye, peeps and creeps. Bye.